This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. There will be spoilers in this episode specifically from the world Sarah J. Mass has created, as well as topics mentioning sex work, physical violence, and substance abuse. everybody, and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today is Empire of Storms, the book that I've only read all the way through twice. And Jessica, do you understand now why that is? You know, I have to stop doing this to myself because every time I'm like, I'm going to I'm going to spread out my days better. Next thing you know, I'm finishing the episode or the book right as we're going into recording and I'm emotionally not able. I am going to talk about it, but I'm just going to be crying this whole episode. It's going to ebb and flow for sure. She's going to start. It's going to set me off. Um, Jessica, (laughs) you asked me a few hours ago. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I pulled an all-nighter. I didn't even do that my senior year of college. (laughs) You asked me a few hours ago where I stop when I reread this book. Yes. I I love this book. I've reread it several times, but I never finish it. And Jessica, I stop after Dorian and Manon bang. That's it? That's it. That's as far as I go. Because after that, that's like the last happy thing. And then after that, it's just like a a slide into the most painful... I I have like my stomach is in knots. I I feel the way I felt after Agawar, but worse maybe. Be uh, probably worse. Yeah, I I, I would worse. say worse. Agawar ends. You know, it kind of wraps up a little bit, but this this one obviously is a cliffhanger. This one is very painful. It's also I feel. Just more devastating in general. Well, it's from so many from so many different angles. It's not just one point of view that you're devastated for. Like things started clicking together, and you know, I know everybody keeps saying, "Oh, this is such a great series," and it just progressively gets better. And I totally see that now. But then you're just like, now, now I was like, I went to Tower of Dawn. I'm like, now I have to deal with Kale shit after all of this. Like, I don't even. And I know a lot of pe- more people will read. Assassin's Blade before they read Tower of Dawn, if they even read Tower of Dawn. I I don't want to deal with Kale. Let science and magic fix you and come back standing. I I don't know. That might sound insensitive right now. I'm so sorry. I'm very hyper aware that that might not have been the proper thing to say. Um, But I mean, every, like, even I'm going to start crying. So, like, everybody's showing up, pay, paying, like, showing up for their, their life debts. And then I just, my heart breaks for Rowan because here, like, Lysandra comes right over looking like Aelin. Aelin's not there and he's just so broken because here she is once again making these crazy plans with 
out being like so self-sacrificing and not putting into every she's she's like planning out everybody else's life and not planning out her own you know and it's just so sad and she finally starts opening up and she starts trusting and she's not micromanaging and she's trusting the people in her life and Lysandra's the only one she's like this is what we have to do and I'm as it's like not only is she asking her this as somebody from her court but she's asking this of her best friend you know and her best girlfriend and I think that's so important throughout this whole series that we see that reoccurring theme of she tries to have these strong female friendships and they keep getting pulled away from her and this is the one that hasn't yet you know <laughs> it's it, it's it's a lot it's a lot we're talking about Aelin and Lysandra and making her plans when Aelin was throwing up on the boat that is when she started making these plans with Lysandra that's why she kept calling for Lysandra because she realized when Fenris said the queen who was promised it all clicked for her and she realized that she was going to have to die so in order to protect her kingdom and protect everything she needed Lysandra to become her and that's when that plan started and I just think it's so devastating because I mean and you and and Rowan thought you know maybe she's pregnant and she needs to talk to Lysandra because she's pregnant, but it was so much more than that. And it, it's just, it's just so painful. And like, even with the mirror, like the fact that you said the queen that was promised, I didn't even think of her being promised to the gods. You keep, it's written where you think she's promised to the kingdom. She's promised to Aurelia. She's promised to Terrison. She's promised to her people, but you're not thinking beyond that because you're just so swept up into everything. Maybe. I don't know. I am thinking of Deanna and that never clicked there. I just kept thinking Deanna was the bad goddess. And really, she's just like, I, I'm a goddess. This, you were promised to me by your own relative. And I get, oh, you know, like she had no other choice. No, Elena, you were a dumb fuck. You were being selfish. Now you, uh, when that, I mean, I sent you my reaction video of just everything like, wait, wait, this is, this is so much bigger than this because she wasn't patient but then i think of our other conversations where we have if people just fucking communicated like if her dad told elena elena wouldn't think i have to do this to help my dad to help my people because at the same time elena wasn't necessarily acting out of self-interest she was thinking that that was the right thing to do when manon and aelin are about to enter the temple in the marshes and they are comparing their swords and she pulls out her sword, or Manon pulls out her sword, and Aaron is like, that's a great sword. What's his name? She's yeah. like, Wind Cleaver. And she goes, oh, what's yours? And she says, like, Goldrin. She's like, oh, mine's better. And then she says, I know. blame my ancestors. Right. It's like, God, there's so much I can blame your fucking ancestors for, Aelin. And you don't even realize it then. Like, she might have put the, she might have started clicking things together, because obviously she had already known at that point what she had to do but she didn't know the why and then to have that whole backstory uh and it was never about being the lock it was just to lure her in to be like well the mirror really isn't the lock it's to say like here's my side of things how devastating 
How devastating is that whole mirror chapter? Here's, you know, SJM again hitting us with a mirror, but I know that whole mirror chapter is just, just heartbreaking. It's all just heartbreaking. You get Nehemia, you get Elena, and then all of it is, and it, fi- it fires me up. The Nehemia stuff bothers me even more now. Is that I don't know if that's there's a lot to unpack because I feel that. Selena was hurt. She lost her friend. She's like, I never even got to tell her the truth. Then she finally tells her the truth. And now she's just hurt. She made these promises to her. And Nehemia led her to believe that her promises were valid. Like, yeah, okay. Like, you're totally going to save my people. You're totally going to save Elway. Knowing that that was never going to be the case. Always. And she knew that Selena was ailing the whole time. Yeah. So she lied to her from the very beginning. And that also hurts part of Selena slash Aylin's journey and recovery for it because she, she kept, she was holding on to that for so long and blaming herself. Let's move on to happier things. My favorite ship, which is Minorian, which is, of course, Manon and Dorian. They are fucking hot as... I, I, <laughs> is it, it's so weird. It's going to be so weird. I would be okay watching them. <laughs> hot. I, they are hot. <laughs> Jessica sent me a reaction video when the, the first time that anything sexy happened between them and her cheeks were so pink. I <laughs> am not somebody who blushes often. I was, I wasn't even blushing out of embarrassment. I was, it was, it was steamy and they didn't do that. It was just teasing and taunting and like kissing and chains and ch- magical chain. I just threw my pen again. I threw my pen in the video too. Um, it's, it's all sexy, but you know what also it, it is? It's Dorian is finding confidence in himself and his magic that he possesses. He wasn't like this with Selena. Like, yeah, they were all flirty banter, blah, 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 but they were also like younger. They, were still maturing. They were at different points in their lives. They also didn't know, one, that they were related to all this other stuff. I mean, and the same thing can be said with Aelin and Rowan. They are just in a different point of self-confidence in their life and commanding of themselves and their power at this point in the series. Dorian is hot, man. He is... I, uh they're all really fucking good looking. I think there's that's even uh Dorian even says that to Manon when he comes. He's like, "You, there isn't a natural amount of attractive people on this. Like, and not just everybody, male, female, all of them. We all hot. Like, Dorian's like, I don't know what to tell you. I really love. Well, I mean, I really love Dorian, obviously, but I really love that Dorian specifically requires consent from Manon. Oh, I loved that. Because she's, you know, she's chained. So he said, you know, I need you to say yes. And she she was taken aback. She's like, really? Oh, yeah, of of course I consent. Are you kidding? We we Same. love it. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. They no they're they're absolutely wonderful. They are my favorite parts in this book. All of their interactions are just fantastic. Of course, Manon's character arc is wonderful in this book. We see her, you know, rise up against her grandmother and everything that happens. And she is, of course, the promised crocking queen. We love that. I love everything about it. That was the first point in the book that I started crying. And I was just 
crying because I was overwhelmed and I was so happy because I had told you all I heard was when Cleaver came down on her grandmother's head or neck. And I was so overwhelmed with happiness because that's where you, I don't want to say you start seeing Manon's character arc because you see it with the change in her thought process of her repeating things that other people have said to her, things that Astrin has said, the stories. She's just questioning, like, is this kind of like the life I want to live? Like, there has to be something bigger. But this was the first time that she's taken action on those thoughts, which was really beautiful. And I just started crying and I was so happy that I didn't keep listening where nothing happened. Like, she just did the action and nothing, like, her grandma got away. And then I sent you the follow-up video of, I have no chill. I'm so sorry. I preemptively recorded myself crying. <laughs> but it is a very special moment. And it, it's something that I don't think gets talked about a lot. But that is, that's her break. That is her break with her grandmother. And that is the start of her finding her way to the ship and to Dorian and Aelin. And, you know, she tells Abraxos, like, take me somewhere safe. Take me to the coast. Abraxos took her to Dorian somewhere safe, which is just very sweet because, you know, Abraxos knew. I have a couple favorite moments in this book, but one of my absolute favorite moments is the Battle of Skulls Bay where Rowan and Aelin are chained together. Their hands are cut. They're pushing them together. And she gets taken over by Deanna. I, I can see it clearly in my mm-hmm. head. And I think I think it's just beautiful. I think it's interesting where he said that's where he knew that they were mates. I have a lot of questions. Maybe not a lot. And please feel, please educate me. So they were always supposed to be mates. But then Maeve changed the mate direction or she just like kind of did some witchy stuff to alter that or make him believe that it was Lyria who was actually his mate? Because they eventually realized they were both mates. It wasn't just a canon thing. This is so heartbreaking. Maeve faked the mating bond with Lyria. Okay, was, she faked it. Was it. Never... it was never. It was never. Okay. And, but that's, it's so heartbreaking because this whole time, I mean, not that losing a loved one isn't any less painful, but he, the, it's also like here he was thinking, that's it for me. Like that's, I'm, I'm done. So by the time, so, and she knew that because she knew the type of warrior that he was. She's like, I'm going to break him so hard that it's not, he's going to basically beg me to make, be, have the blood oath, not the other way around. He's not, he thinks it's over for him and he's still so broken and she's so broken. And she says that she goes, you guys were so broken. You didn't even realize what you had in front of you the whole time because you were so focused on your own pain. It, it makes me hate Maeve. I mean, obviously I hate Maeve, but it makes me hate her so much more. And I mean, when, talk about playing the long game. That was a long game. But just to, to do that, to do that to Rowan and then to do that I mean, obviously, everything that she did to Aelin was horrific. I wanted to bring a point that every time the villains do things to the protagonist, it's always in a state of the protagonist is weak or the heroine is weak. And because, and this is where, like, the cowardice shows up in the villains, is because you can't handle... You know, you, you know, if they were at full power, you would not be. And I understand, like, that's very, like, that, that's the animal kingdom too. You prey on the weak. 
the villains are preying on people when they are weak. But it also reminds me of just bullies in real life also when people get jumped. It's never a one-on-one thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to take I'm going to have all my it always comes across as like all these people are going to we're going to rally against one person and attack the one person because there's just so every villain needs to go to therapy because there's a lot to unpack there to have that much hate and that much evil. I mean, granted, some people are inherently evil, like Karen. Karen. that's That's just one example from the book. But just... To have that much hatred, you're like, who hurt you? Like, are you okay? You're not. I mean, obviously, we're going to read Tower of Dawn. We're going to read Kingdom of Ash. We get a little bit more, but I feel like speaking about a lead and Marion, her mother, is kind of a good way to get from the beginning to the end of this book. A lead goes through quite a journey, obviously. With Lorcan. So I know we haven't really talked about Lorcan. What, how do we feel about Lorcan? He has his own character arc too. The only problem is he's still what he was at the point in the book when he's still having his character arc is he still has his blood oath, which is where everybody was in a predicament at the end where Rowan's like, why didn't anybody? And he's like, we couldn't. It's not like we didn't want to. Like, Maeve knew we wanted to, which is why she invoked the blood oath. I do like him, I think. I don't, I like him in this book. I'm, I'm still unraveling because I love Lysandra now. And I just, I sent you a video ago. I need to stop hating people because everybody, time I wind up hating a person, they come through. There's a bigger character arc. I like them. I don't. But even if, if if I think of like an enemies to lovers story, I saw something on TikTok where somebody said people who enjoy enemies to lovers are typically people who are like they want somebody to see all their bad qualities and love them anyway. Well, no shit. Like I want you to still love me even at my worst, you know? Especially when you have like such like for me, like when I'm when I'm bad, I'm bad, you know, but <laughs> still love me anyway like a sour patch kid and you can argue that a lead doesn't fall into that category the way that she yells at Lorcan at the end you know i want you to be alone forever i want you to suffer because she can't deal with what he did and of course what he did was call mave because he thought that the armada was coming to attack and he, he had no did... idea who the armada was he right was just like my this person that i care for but even i feel like he's still unpacking his feelings for a lead because he openly said how he loves mave he's in love with Maeve, and so when mave and like a lead meets mave she's this is the person that like i'm up against no wonder he wants me i mean i'd be doing a little hair toss there too good for you sis for real, because, yeah, she says Maeve is like this cold, soulless bitch, and she just can't see why anyone would love her. But there is something that I feel that the the Bloodsworn males kind of realize, and I think I, I'm pretty sure it's Lorcan that vocalizes it. He said, in the Fae world, power calls to power. So, and that's why they were all sworn, sworn, he sworn to Maeve because she was so powerful and it attracted 
them because they were also powerful. And I think I'm pretty sure it's Lorcan who says, does it make them weak for not holding out for something better? Meaning Aelin. And this conversation takes place when the 500 Ilkin are coming and Aelin, you know, is there by herself and she just fucking destroys them. And and it feels like it was a matter of minutes, the way Lorcan describes them. He goes, you know, that, that happened a lot quicker than – and when you think about it, it they said there, there was eight of them and there was 500 Elkin. And that's just anyway, – and then it, it ties back to earlier in the book where it was just Adian, Lysandra, and Aelin at the temple. And they just decimated there too. And they were like, yeah – it was 10 minutes. They were like, it took them 20 minutes. It was really 10, but then they took the other 10 to like clean up and make sure everybody was dead. <laughs> like, like it just, just the casualness of it all. And I, and I love that. I love, uh, there's just so many strong, powerful moments, especially as a woman as we're reading this. Again, I, I don't mean to drill this in, but I kind of do how wonderful it is for a younger generation to get to read this. I mean, granted, we get to read it now and have our own experiences, but I'm just thinking of being, you know, starting from middle school and high school and reading something about this. There's so much beauty in every aspect between, you know, female empowerment, trusting the people that you're with, the love that you choose. Oh, and that was something that I was was thinking about the other day of we are – in 2021. And I feel like it's very rare that people fall in love before sex now. And so far, all everybody who's falling in love, like there is this depth of emotion in their relationships before any sex is involved. And I really like that that is portrayed in these books. I think that was one of the things that I I get so wrapped up into because I'm like, oh my gosh, they're so sweet. They're so cute. All this banter, blah, blah, blah. Because I don't feel like that's there anymore. That's a good point. It's such a hookup culture or like dating apps. And you just don't, I mean, granted, there's no dating apps in Aurelia, but I think there's something like the substance. You find more substance in the relationships in these books than that was something that I really picked up on so far that I might not necessarily have picked up in Akatar immediately. Well, and Rowan and Aelin wait a, a long time to uh, do do the deed. Like even saying they say I love you before they even consummate anything, whether it was their marriage, their relationship. How did you feel about the beach? The sexy beach, not the whipping beach. I was like, which one? Uh, here's my thing with the beach. Sand is everywhere. So when he's talking about going down on her, basically, I'm like, what? There's sand. There's sand. Maybe magic. Maybe because the magic is shielding their sounds and protecting them and everything so nobody can see them. Maybe magic is keeping sand out of places, too. I hope so for for everyone's sake. Everyone's sake. Everyone's sake. I mean, sand sand is a vicious, vicious thing. Yeah, like there's no towels. Like they're just on. No, they keep talking about how they're on the beach and the the waves keep kind of going around them. And I'm like, that's, I don't know. I, I haven't done it. So I don't know. I'd feel very distracted. 
for real. And I think it's really interesting that that scene is, you know, pretty steamy, but I didn't get a reaction video from that scene. I got a, I got a reaction from Dorian <laughs> and Manon. So I, I was thinking like, okay, well, maybe because as, you know, as steamy, as spicy as Rowan and Aelin are, it's, it's much more about the emotional impact between the two of them. And yeah. Dorian and Manon, it's just hot. It's just like, it's sex. You're just like, you just see them together and you're like, sex. Yeah. But I, I do, I think with a lot of my reactions, all of my Stevie reaction scenes were with, for the videos were with Manon and Dorian. But I was just kind of like in the moment with Rowan and Aelin because I love them so much together. But it's, their relationship is so deep. They were even saying like between like her fire and his ice were mingling together in every capacity. And even when they, after the first time on the beach, Rowan goes, I didn't know it could be like that. Like I didn't know it was possible. And I thought that was really special. I thought that was sweet. Like, it wasn't like this huge smut. I don't know. I didn't, I don't consider it smut. I thought it was really sweet. I'm such like a freaking sap with that. No, it is. It's very special. So now we've only had two smutty scenes and they're in this book, right? Like everything else has been kind of PG kind of glossed over, kind of fade to black situation. Yeah. But now, now it's like, you know, full throttle, which, you know, speaks a lot. You can see where Sarah kind of grew up in her writing and now everything's really different. And the plot is just fantastic at this point. What I also thought was really interesting, and I guess that this comes with being a part of a series, is those last 200 pages, you're focusing so much on you know, Maeve is there. Here's the background story. This uh, this other thing is going on. You're finding out that the life debts are being called into. The whole time I'm like, wait, we're not talking about Erewhon. Like, where that's still happening. That didn't just go away. And I was thinking that too, because even with the Aelin's The Lock, I go, okay, now we know that she needs to die in order to get everything to be sent away. Did Maeve know that? She thinks she has the word keys because that was how it ended also where Manon has the keys. But Maeve thinks that Aelin has them. Yes. That's how it is kind of wrapped up. Yeah. Maeve got so into the whipping. And and that, you know, that speaks back to Elide and the parallels between Marion and Aelin in regard to Elide. Marion, Elid's mother, bought time for Aelin to run when Erewhon and his agents murdered her family. Aelin bought time for, you know, everything to happen so that Elid could survive. So it's kind of like a hand-in-hand situation there. And she got Maeve, Aelin did, so worked up about the whipping, you know, because she wouldn't count. And so they whipped her over and over and over again that Maeve just kind of forgot like it it, she didn't think to check about any of the keys because she was in just that horrible oh god and even that whole scene where Maeve says to Aelin she's like you say you don't bow to anybody you're going to bow to me and it just brought me back to Reese and I bow to no one but my court and my mate and I just oh my heart my heart is just with these people, these characters right now. Well, and Aelin, 
is of course now kidnapped by Maeve. She is shackled, put in a mask that is all iron, and then put into a coffin that is iron. What was the importance of the mask being iron? Why couldn't they just put her in like shackles? It's just an added like indignity. Yeah. And iron, we know, like neutralizes magic. So she's completely helpless. They didn't treat her wounds. So, you know, her back is still flailed open and she's not going to heal and she's in the coffin and then they took her and all of her magic is stifled. That's what I think Rowan says, like they took his fire heart and put her in a box. It's just it's so incredibly awful. And then speaking of indignities, that also speaks to when Lorcan and Gabriel have their blood oath stripped of them. And they, and that was also confusing to me in the sense that they just kept saying, no, please don't, even though they didn't want to be blood oath sworn to her, but they didn't want to be stripped of it either. Is it just like this, this dishonor, this perception from the public that, oh, if I'm stripped of my blood oath dishonorably, is it like a dishonorable discharge where it's like, it's looked down upon? Yes, but it's it's more than that. It's like a rendering of the soul. Because with Rowan, she said, I release you with no dishonor. So he had no negative effects. Oh. But with everybody else, their life is tied to Maeve. So when she severs it like that, they're ripping out a part of their soul that's connected to her. Oh. And and it it weakens them. But it also just kind of really throws them for a loop. And... For Gavriel, I think especially, I think he would have preferred to keep it so that he could go with them and try to, you know, like on the sly, like help Aelin instead of, you know, not having any chance now because... But Fenris is with them. Right. But the only thing is Maeve knows where Fenris's allegiance lies. She just... What's the thing you want most? Your freedom? torture would actually be for you not to have that yeah and we love Fenris I I love Fenris he's sassy and gorgeous we love that Dorian stares at Fenris we, we know <laughs> that Dorian loves beauty and appreciates beauty and uh I, I love Fenris there's a lot of stuff on TikTok about um the dynamic between like Fenris and Aelin and Dorian and oh it, it's it's fun so like they are the three like fun kind of people you know and then everybody else is more or less serious it leads kind of shy and there's a lot of that like karaoke TikTok stuff going around between it's, okay it's it's I was good gonna ask because obviously I, I want to be on throne of glass TikTok but I've been avoiding spoilers because I don't know what is what. But then with Akatar TikTok, I love because you always have like these chaotic Cassian. I love that people are realizing it's really Reese that's going to hype Cassian up more than Az. Like I know Az and Cass are like they're, you know, they're the dynamic duo, but at the same time, Az is a little bit like I'm going to call Az to be my DD. I'm not calling Reese to be my designated driver because Reese and Cass will just hype each other up and has this, you know, and I love that's where we also get to grow with our with the characters because it's just another social media platform that everybody's completely embracing and we are living through the entertainment of it, which just brings the characters more to life. So I didn't know if that's happening on Throne of Glass TikTok as well. It is. It is. Throne of Glass TikTok is is really interesting because you have people 
this is a whole conversation. You have people that don't like Throne of Glass because they're two books in. They're like, I don't, I don't like this. I'm, I'm not going to keep going. You tell me I have to read like four books before it gets really good. That's how I felt like with Red Queen. I'm like, I'm not reading after the second book. I'm, I, this is, this is not for me. But even though you have a whole community of people telling you like, yes, this book series is amazing. It'll change your life. It is fantastic. People don't, people don't like it. So it, it's this whole thing. Okay, you don't have to like it. Go to a different version of TikTok that you like or find a series that you'll – Easy Cat, I think his name is Jason, Easy Cat on TikTok and on Instagram. He created a video where he's like, I am so tired of everybody just hating. Like you want to create these hate videos of like, you know, you, and everybody's – it's not that you aren't allowed to dislike everything. There are going to, like you said, there's going to be people who love Throne of Glass. There's going to be people who don't like it. So instead of just completely trashing it, why can't you also say, hey, it's not my fave. However, this one is. And I think you'd really like it too. You know, I just, more positivity. (laughs) It's 2021 and we're still, the world is still very much 2020. (laughs) We're we're having like a a delayed green light. We're still sitting there. I need it. I need more positivity, especially after today. I don't, I know I still have two books to go through. My Addie LaRue just became available at the library. Oh, this is God. Be a really, really rough week. And I have crazy stuff for work because now I, I get to work on two projects at the same, well, three, four at the same time, um, on a weekly basis. So Addie LaRue is the, First book since this book, Empire of Storms, that made me sit and just sob. Ab- absolutely sob. Like, ugly, ugly cry where my husband was like, oh, my God, are you okay? And I was just like, no. So there, there's that. So does Kingdom of Ash not make you cry? Because everybody says it's very emotional. It does. Kingdom of Ash makes me cry. The beginning is incredibly painful. The end is emotional is the word. But it's the end it's the end of the series though, you know? So that's what I was gonna ask. Is it emotional because it's emotional or is it emotional because like that's it, you know? Yeah, it it that's it. And of course the the epilogue is just, you know, I just lose it. The Addie LaRue epilogue or the Kingdom of Ash epilogue? Kingdom of Ash epilogue. With Addie LaRue, you know, it's just a standalone. There right. there isn't any more. It's just one, but that that one hit really hard way harder than I was expecting. So with Tower of Dawn, is it going to be what's happening after Empire of Storms? Or is it a, well, while this is happening over here, this is happening with Kale over here? Okay, this is an excellent question. They're happening at the same time. Okay. the Almost the exact same time. And now that you have read Empire of Storms, when you read through Tower of Dawn, they'll make little references and you'd be like, oh, okay, that's, you know, that's what was happening. And it kind of does a disservice to Tower of Dawn. And I know you haven't read Game of Thrones, but it's the same thing with Game of Thrones in book four and book five, because everybody wants to know what's happening with their favorite characters. And in Game of Thrones, that's in book five. But everything that happens in book four is also really important, but you don't give it any sort of time or praise because you just you just want to get through it because your favorite characters are waiting at in the next book and that's what happens with throne or uh, tower of dawn it's a good book like the world building is good the characters are good you know whatever but like no one likes kale 
and we just want to know what's going on with Aelin and Rowan and like does he find her like how does he get you know you, you want that is that why some people skip over it because it's not like with the Assassin's Blade, people are like, oh, it's a prequel, but this one isn't a prequel. Is what's it? Is it considered its own standalone book? No. It, okay. I mean, well, I mean, uh, that's the a, length uh, of it is one. Yeah. No, it's 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 in the series. You know, it's number like seven, I think, in the series. It's part. It's tied in. It's not a standalone because it. Yeah. 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 And what happens in the book? in Tower of Dawn is in Kingdom of Ash. So like what happens, you know, it carries over. There are parts in Kingdom of Ash where if you haven't read Tower of Dawn, you're like, what the fuck is going on? So it's necessary. But see, that's interesting because then you have people who haven't, haven't or won't read Assassin's Blade. And even though you piece everything together, like listening to Empire of Storms, you know these people because you've been introduced to all of them already. So I feel like that's important because the emotional impact is there. Whereas if you're just reading one through seven and you get to, you, you never touch Assassin's Blade, you could still enjoy the story, but the signi- like the significance is lost on these people that are coming back into the fold. Um, even with, uh, when Ansel brings back Crusada and Rowan knows the story of Crusada already. Nobody else does, but we all, we know that in Era Fire that Aelin shared that story with Rowan. And he was, he even said, he goes, I've never seen just like pure joy on her face. And that was just so sweet because he, he knew that story and Dorian still didn't. He didn't understand the importance because it was like, oh, I'll tell you one day, but I, I thought it was sweet. And of course, we as the reader know, and we know that, you know, what Ansel looks like, and we know where she was from, and we know the context where she's coming from. She's Queen of the Waste. We we understand why she and Manon kind of butt heads over that. We have that background. And then, of course, we have the assassins that come up, and we have just all of it. It's so important. And, and that, like you said, that impact isn't there if you don't read Assassin's Blade. I just can't imagine one, I keep saying like one thing, but it's really every every time I think of something. I like how the characters in this series, they're true to their word. And I mean that in a, if you say you're owed a life debt, you're owed a life debt, you know, or if you say, like Ansel brings up a point, you said you, you said you'd give me 20 minutes. You go, and she said, you gave me more than that. And that 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 doesn't go unnoticed, you know, or with Rolf, like actually following through, he goes, you know, he might hate Selena, but he's kept true to his word that he, if slaves came over to Skull's Bay, he wasn't going to go out of his way to kick them out, but he was, they were, they were welcome to be there. And I think that's really important. Oh, and even Lorcan says, little does Elid know or Marion, he was referring to her as, that he only makes bargains and promises. And I, I thought that, I I think it took this book for me to make that connection consistently. Yeah, your bond is, you know, your word is your bond. And that's really lovely. I feel like people don't really live up to that anymore. Right. But uh, it, it's really special. You bring up a good point. 
it goes back to Sarah planting this early and us just not realizing it. When Selena is in Rolf's office for the big reveal. Fucking love that. Isn't it just the best? You know, she's like fucking around with the emeralds. You know, she got one under her tongue and like spits it. Like, what a badass. And then she's like hitting on Rowan. She's like, I don't know who you are. He's like, I'm taken. <laughs> oh, I love it. I I was so obsessed with their flirty role-playing banter. And Dorian's like, oh, God, don't do it. Oh, she's doing it. Nope, she's she's going there. She's going there. She, and even Selena, oh, she must be just the most prettiest, perfect, badass. And she's, like, flicking the emeralds every, like, compliment she's giving herself. I was here for it. I wa- and, and, you know, I know Selena is this persona that Aelin created to survive. But I still love Selena Sardothian energy. I, I think it's so great. I'm obsessed with Selena and Rowan, and I'm obsessed with Aelin and Rowan. Like, I'm sure I just think it was... I loved that part. I loved the reveal. I loved how everybody knew, and they were just... They were just, okay, give it, give it a break. And she's all, she's just all about the dramatics, all about an appearance. And she feeds into it. I'm obsessed. And then Lysandra walking in as her and she goes, God, you are gorgeous. It's just like, (laughs) yeah. But then of course we know that they, they had done that. And then now it's going to play such a very important role, you know, going forward. And that brings up a really good point that I wanted to discuss. And that is Adian. Adian says some pretty horrible things towards the end of this book. You know, Jess, you sent me a reaction video where you were crying, obviously. But, you know, Adian, where are our armies, Aelin? Where are our allies? You know, he says that. And then with the reveal when Lysandra is Aelin, he's so angry. He's what? Who's going to father the, me? I'm going to father the children. You know, the line's going to continue that way. He's like, don't fucking touch me. He's he's horrible to her. And it sucks because I, I really want to love Adian. And, I, and he has a lot of redeeming qualities, but he doesn't take, I'm not going to say stress, but I don't, I, what, I don't know what it is. He, do, he doesn't take surprises well. I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. He's very much, I mean, and this maybe this comes with him leading you know, military and he's a general or a commander or something, he is used to routine and organization and planning. And when things don't align with what he has planned, he cannot process change in a healthy way, I guess is the way you can say it. Because one of the things that's pointed out where Rowan says, he goes, oh my gosh, like sometimes I just wish you would tell me and Aelin goes, but where's the fun in that? And then he also, like, internally admits, I kind of, like, live for it also, which he he adores her for that, right? And I just imagine being that powerful and having a, a man be turned on by that. I feel like you don't hear about that. Like, that's never, that doesn't feel like that's happening even in the 21st century. So that's something that I really, I, I really admire about Rowan is that he completely embraces that quality with Aelin. And even though he could be frustrated and like, oh, she didn't tell us our pl- her plan again, but he's always just beguiled 
of how she handles it and surprises him once again. And Adian's like, fuck, that's not what I, that's, yay, you surprised us, but I could have, that could have been more helpful if you told me. And he just, I don't know if it's a FOMO thing too. It could be. There is kind of a controversy about this, about Adian and Lysandra and Aelin. The plan is that with Aelin gone and Aelin not expecting anyone to come get her. Right. Which I thought was when she was thinking that, I go, no, she's she's his mate. There's no way Rowan's going to just let this settle. There's no way any of them are just going to be like, oh, okay. Bye, Aelin. That's why Aelin says what she does at the very end. You know, tell Adian it's not his fault. Tell Rowan to remember his promises to me, to Tarasyn. You know, that she she tries to make it very clear, like, please don't come for me. Please finish the war because she knows the war is coming. So the the plan is Lysandra is Aelin and the the royal line will continue with Lysandra and Adian you know, having children together and the line will run true and they'll look like Adian. So they'll pass as, as Aelin's Asher, yeah. children. The controversy is that they don't, well, obviously they don't communicate and tell Adian about this, but they don't give him a choice in this. Sarah always says, you know, like a broodmare, but that's kind of like a reverse situation here. Like, you know, he's he's just going to be used for for fathering children and i think part of that is why he's so upset but then on the other hand it's like well he already had you know kind of feelings for lysandra he does say like he wants to marry her but this situation really sours but it's under different circumstances like he does he he truly cares for lysandra i think he even loves her i don't know if they're mates but i do think he loves her and then they try to talk about it and he's very respectful of the fact that understanding her past and you know everything should be done under her consent and i love that quality about adian you know and he's just like oh you know it's kind of cool like sometimes she'll like snuggle up with him as a ghost leopard and sometimes it's her or sometimes when she was the sea dragon she like finally let him approach so it's like she he loves all aspects of her i can say at this point in the book that doesn't mean that the choices that she makes he has to necessarily agree with and he is hurt that choice was taken from him you know he i think if they were talking about at one point of what they, they didn't want to define their relationship they were just like well let's just make a promise to be honest with each other and then that that was it you know they didn't want to put anything more demanding on them than they had to at that point rightfully so but there were discussions that they're like i want to get married you know and there's, there's, it just comes down to choice. Like there's, if you want to marry somebody, absolutely. But then you put some extenuating circumstance for some people. Say you want to get married, but then you're like, yes, let's get married. Let's have a baby, whatever. And then say that person gets pregnant. Then you have some people who automatically think, okay, well now we can, we should get married now. Well, no, I don't want to get married because I'm pregnant. You know, there's just different circumstances. You're like, I want to get married because I wanted to, not because of, variable x and lysandra does make a good point during this she's like i don't serve you i serve aelin aelin asked me to do this and she's my queen like you are a general i don't serve you i serve her so she lysandra is fulfilling her duties as a member of the court in the only way that she can 
Well, I mean, she can do it a lot of ways, but like specifically how Aelin told her to. Well, and I think also what works in her favor, not favor, maybe that's definitely the wrong word to use here. We already know that Faye have a history of difficulty when it comes to procreating. So they could have a kid. They could not have a kid. It's not one of these things that's a guarantee in life. I want to bring up my favorite quote in this book. I mean, there's a lot of really good ones. Oh, I have some quotes written down that I want to discuss. So this is perfect transition. My favorite quote is when Rowan and Dorian are talking and they're saying, it's not so hard, is it, to die for your friends? It's like, no, it's not. It's just a very like special kind of throwaway, you know, moment between them. I really enjoy the growth that they've had in their relationship, Dorian and Rowan. And I feel that Adian sometimes sees that as an outsider where he was, even though Rowan and Adian, they consider themselves brothers in arms at this point and brothers and all that stuff. And just like at the beginning of the book, I was so excited. I was like, I can't believe Adian has Rowan like tattooed on him. Like that was so special. I, I still think that's very special that there's this understanding between Rowan and Dorian and their positions of power and the people that they care about. And there's there's something very attractive about these men who appreciate also strong women and they understand that they're not taking the lead, you know, in this in these situations. And I think that's a very attractive quality that you're like, I'm going to I'm going to support you in these endeavors. And I'm also going to protect you, understanding that you can also protect yourself. And the respect between men between men. Yes. Rowan really respects Dorian and that respect grows. Their friendship grows. And then Lysandra helps Adian understand that Dorian is different, that he's gone through this change and that his feelings about him being, you know, a spoiled prince, he's had this whole experience being collared that he's a different person and he should have some sort of respect from Adian. And it's a nice little triangle that happens, like mutual respect and understanding between them. I find it, it's really lovely. And just speaking on Dorian a little bit more because I love him, I like this speech that he gives Manon in the swamp about how if he were the one to use the keys, he doesn't trust himself because he might just burn it all down because of Sorsha and everything that happened to Sorsha. And no one will remember who she was, but he will. He'll remember her name. And also, kind of the reason that he, I mean, one of them, is one of the reasons that he's so attractive to Manon is that she isn't breakable. Mm -hmm. She's strong. And she is, as Lysandra pointed out earlier, completely different from Sorsha. So it's it's like a complete separate situation for him so i mean i love and respect dorian yeah i mean i i yes to everything that you said i think it's really also special that lysandra brings that i mean she's again she's had a different upbringing than everybody else so the fact that she's able to bring this insight that others don't necessarily have and we don't know dorian's Grow. Like, obviously, we've seen some of his growth, but for him to deny himself, like, I don't know if I could handle that. I'm the only one who will remember Saoirse. Um, the same could be said about Aelin. When, like, Saoirse 
to Dorian is kind of like how Sam was to Selena. And she's gone through this process and this learning and this healing, and she continues to. I mean, you see it even in this book where Rolf was talking about, I think it was Rolf, talking about Sam and Rowan just went batshit on him because he knows that like even though they are mates and everything like he knows the importance and the significance of that relationship just because they're mates and that's where they are in this point now in their relationship that doesn't lessen what the relationship we had she had with somebody before because if anything that first relationship with sam is why she can be at the place where she is with rowan and so there's a significance to that I also like you were talking about how Rowan respects Aelin so much. They have, and this is also controversial, the conversation about how Aelin, when they're sitting, they're in the ship and they're with the map. And, you know, Aelin's like, the world is at my feet. He's like, would you conquer it? You could. You could conquer it and have an empire. She's like, would you stand by me? And he said, you know, I'll stand by you for everything, you know, to whatever end. And then she's like, no, I'm not going to. You know, I would be, she's basically like, I would be a fantastic empress. <laughs> I would bring culture and learning and art. But she says, you know, no, I'm I'm not going to do that yet. And that's, there's a group of people that really hate this book because they say, you know, she's just like a colonizer. You know, she just wants to take over everything and, and colonize everybody. And I don't necessarily agree with that, but it is something that is discussed. Wait, where does that come from that she's wanting to colonize? She just right now, I, I thought she was just trying to let's just get Erewhon out of everybody. And then I thought like I didn't take it seriously as her. Oh, I really want to take over the world and become an emperor. I thought it was just like a ha you know, like when we say like, I can't wait to be queen or I can't wait to take over like this. I don't actually mean a takeover. People have discussed it. It's a conversation that's out there. It's, it's just one of those things. Well, speaking of taking over, I really enjoyed, and this is early on in the book, where Aelin, right before Aelin, Adian, and Lysandra leave Terrison and they leave Aelin, or they leave Evangeline behind. I love two things that Aelin says to Evangeline. I like that she tells her, you have to be my eyes and ears here. You have to help me take back my kingdom. And she knows that's absolutely true. And I think that helps give Evangeline a sense of purpose if she's going to be left behind because these are two people. Like she, obviously, we know the history of her with Lysandra. And then Aelin is that secondary person for her because Evangeline always said, if anything happens to me, you go to see her. And so that she became that secondary person for her. And then obviously that relationship grew in different capacities, especially on like acknowledging Aelin as her queen of Terrison. But I also thought it was really important that Aelin tells her, you are wise, brave, and a joy. And I really appreciated that because both Evangeline and Lysandra, they were in this world where looks were important and essential in order to bring an in income. And even though Lysandra gave scars on Evangeline's face to diminish her quote unquote worth, I love that Aelin didn't make physical attributes part of Evangeline's worth. And I think that's something that could be looked over as like a like how you have your Dorian and Rowan line. I feel like that line of you are wise, brave and and a joy could be considered a throwaway, but there's so much depth 
there because it's something that we need to remind ourselves that we are not our appearance because that's not who we are internally. And I, I just really appreciated that line and it being said to a young child as, and you know, and it's just as important to remind ourselves now. And right before that scene, can we talk about hating all of these fucking men? Yes, I even have that. I go, the men who decided against her, why do they have a stake in her future? And everything's like, oh, well, the lords don't agree. The lord, like, everybody's a lord. Where's the ladies? They're deciding her future. Even down to the point where they're asking her who she's going to basically fuck. And she goes, who shares my bed is none of your concern. Nor should it be. But it is. And they make it their thing. It's just such a fucking patriarchal thing. All of them. All of them. I hope they just go back, decimate the lords, and then all the people are just like, yay, we're free. Fucking hate men sometimes. Not all men. Just like these these ones. The way that they speak to her. They insist on calling her like a princess of the blood, but you'll never be queen. You can't call yourself queen. We're not in agreement. They they met and decided all of that before they even met her. They said, you know, you've been living a frivolous life for 10 years and we've been trying to keep everything together. You know, you're just an assassin. What will people think when they see you? Which is so devastating because she secretly fears that. That's Aelin's like sensitive part. You know, she has all this guilt about what she was doing and that she's an assassin and how will everyone accept her. And then they're just throwing that back in her face. And then it's a really nice full circle moment because she takes everything that she did when she was an assassin and all of those life debts and then, you know, calls them all in. And now here's your fucking army, you assholes. And she says it's that reminder quote at the end of Empire of Storms that said at the beginning, she's like, I will not turn my back on Terrison. You're going to need me and I will not like I will still be there despite your personal thoughts. And on top of that, it also reminded me of Lysandra and her story of just like when they were being condescending and calling Aelin a princess, like we'll say you're a princess, but you can't say that, but we're not going to acknowledge you as queen, which is one and the same, because then you're just saying, you're just calling me princess by title. It doesn't mean anything. But even when Aelin gives Lysandra the property and she's a formal lady, you find out that, and they're just like saying Lysandra's this common whore where It really frustrated me because, one, like, I'm not going to, for personally, I just, I'm at a point where, like, why are you going to shame sex work? You're probably down at those, at, at those brothels to begin with. But two, you don't know her lived experience that brought her to that point. And, and that's stressed throughout the whole series of how she had an abusive mom, how she had an abusive dad. And even if you don't come from an abusive household and that's like the, the path you choose, who gives you the right to judge one person's path compared to another's? Because you don't think it's appropriate. That has nothing. That's not what this is about. You know, and I think that really frustrated me too, because you know, Lysandra, she even says it later on in this book when she's talking to Adian, she goes, I know I have kind of a past that might not be favorable. And he stops her right there. Like, excuse you, like you might have had these partners, but he's definitely had partners. And he openly said, he's like, I've definitely had I have a high body count and, (laughs) and that wasn't because that was my choice too, you know? And I, I, it frustrates me that these patriarchal assholes in Terrison, I just want to punch them all. It's just very reflective to the world that we live in now. Still, it's not like this past, even though there's no technology, it's not like they live in the past either and they don't live the future. I just 
for all I know, this is just ha- this. This is how ha- this is like in um, a Handmaid's Tale, where a lot of these stories are either have happened or are still happening. Oof. I'm thinking of all of the highlights of the book. I think we've covered most of them, but Jess, how did you feel about Rowan going to all of his cousins and pleading his case, and the and all of his cousins being like, "I will consider it. I will consider it," and then they show up, they break from Maeve. And, you know, family loyalty. I know you sent me the quote, like, that's all she wanted. Like, Rowan never felt that he was worthy enough for Aelin. He had no lands. He had no money. He had, you know, just a title, but it didn't really mean anything. But she didn't want any of that. But then he goes out and he finds her an army. And it was just, it was so special. And the reveal of that was, it was so dramatic. And it's just, it's really lovely. I love their relationship. I love, you know, I I think with A Court of Mist and Fury, you know, people always talk about their book boyfriends. And I definitely at the end, and I feel like maybe this is where you were gearing up for and you were like, is Reese your book boyfriend? Is he like your perfect man? And I go, yeah. And you go forever and ever. Like you, you, I feel like you were baiting me to say like, this is locked in. You haven't even read all the other books, all the other boys that you're about to meet. Are you sure? Is this your final answer? And I was like, yeah, like I think Reese, Reese is it for me. Not like in a, I'm not, if, unless like Reese exists, I'm, I'm not going to be in a relationship, but that's the standard that I'm going to hold people to. And it's not like that high of a standard, I don't think. Like if you write down the lists of the attributes of Reese, it's not that hard, you know, and then you just have to add sexual chemistry on top of it. Otherwise, you're just a friend. I love Rowan, but he's not for me. I love just like I love it took again, it took to the third book. I love Cardin. But I love Cardin for Jude. I love Rowan. I love Rowan for Aelin. And then I love Reese for me. <laughs> and I love I love Dorian for me. So that is, exactly, is perfect. you know. And it's so funny where I'll like Dorian will do something, and I'm like, that's such like, of course, like I could see why Laura is into him. <laughs> like every time he does something, I was like, Ugh, that's so, that's such a such and such move. You know, I just Dorian's the person that you're bringing to this something corporate concert with like we're going to UCF we're meeting Dory in there (laughs) yeah yeah gonna have a good time I just get really 2004 vibes (laughs) it's so great and I really love that Dorian doesn't even really talk to Manon about it but he's like yo the witches are gonna go find all the crockins and I'm going with them and Manon's just like okay let's let's go it's it's great of course that develops more i do like i also i didn't see it in the last book and you sent me a tiktok and i was like really i really don't see the whole manon elite thing and this book i don't know if it was influenced but i feel like i felt it a lot in this book and it wasn't in a oh big sister looking out for a little sister or a friend looking out for a friend like it felt like Manon and Alid had hooked up at some point it does there's a little there's a little bit of like tug there between them and I really do like how of course when Aelin and Alid meet up it's devastating just oh my god the tears but how Alid was alone and forgotten for so long you know, and even Adian says, like, I was outside of that fucking tower 
so many times she probably saw me. I just didn't know she was there. So Ali goes from having nobody to having Lorcan and then Aelin and Manon stake a claim to her. It's like, no, I claim her for the witches. It's like, no, fuck you. She's part of my court. You know, she's Mm -hmm. from Terrison. And then Lorcan's like, yo, I'm kind of really into you, too. And Maeve's like, who the fuck are you? Yeah, and Maeve has no idea who this girl (laughs) is. is. (laughs) She's like, what? And then to go beyond that, you know, after after everything happens and Maeve disappears with Aelin and, you know, Rowan has his breakdown on the beach you know, where where is Aelin? Where is my wife? <sighs> Jeez. Elide says, I'm going with you. I'm going to go with you and we're going to find Aelin together. And then, you know, Gavriel is there and then Lorcan's going to go with them too. So she is kind of folded into this group of incredibly powerful men that, you know, will Lorcan, but like the rest of them are not into her. Like sexually, they don't see her as like, She's the new frat sweetheart. Yeah, yeah. And like Lorcan obviously has a thing for her. But so she went from having nothing and no one to having this family and not not just like a family, but like a and a purpose too. like I am going to find Aelin because she felt that she had nothing to offer. You know, she's lame. She can't read. She, you know, she has, you know, kind of a blessing of a god, a goddess that's kind of implied. But like, damn. And then, you know, she's like, no, I'm I'm going with you. I'm going to find Aelin. Like, that is my purpose. And I just, I love that. And I also think that it was when she was having so much self-doubt. Um, oh, that was the word that I was looking for forever ago. Um, <laughs> there's so much self-doubt where she's like, what am I going to be? Just a dishwasher. And then she realized, she's like, I don't care. I need to be a part of this court. I need to serve my queen in a certain way. And she also realizes it's like when people say, I'm just a whatever. I think that diminishes what we contribute to society in general. If you're like, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. It was just blah, blah, blah. Or I'm just, I just do this, blah, blah, blah. But what you're doing has purpose. And I think we're so used to self-sabotaging and, and self, and with that self-doubt and imposter syndrome and, you know, everything working against us. And on top of it, it's also, we're also taught to be quote unquote humble and not accept praise, you know, have humility that if you are contributing to something, you don't feel like you should be able to openly speak about it or give yourself a pat on the back and realize how far you've come or realize your contribution to whatever it is that you're working on. And I think that's also important to note that she's going to feel that sense of purpose and she's going, you know, everybody ever, and just in general, everybody does have a sense of purpose. You just have to realize how to change the narrative and you know, just how some people say, like, oh, is it a glass half empty or is it half full? And I just say, I have, you know, the glass is filled halfway. That's usually what I say. And it's just very ambiguous. But it's just change. It's changing the narrative, you know, and maybe that's just the the PR publicity and me speaking. But it's also a sense of like shifting that when people talk about like that self-care, that self-love, like changing the narrative in your head, that's that's important because that's going to switch how your mind thinks. And of course, Elite hacked the hell out of those Ilkin when they were coming after her. It only takes one to send a message and, oh, he's already gone. I'm going to fucking murder you. And that was really powerful for her. It was the first time she could 
do something to really impact her situation and her surroundings. And Lorcan, I like how Lorcan is just like, damn, where did that come from? It's fantastic. I like that he's impressed by her constantly. Whether and she and she honestly she doesn't know who Lorcan is. She just like thinks, okay, something. I definitely have a gut feeling. Something's following me. Someone's following me. I'm going to try to get them off my trail, but that's not happening. And she knows to be cautious and wary, which is absolutely smart. It's something we're told all the time if you're traveling alone. And even though she does realize, like, okay, he he is attractive, or he does have muscle, or he does have this, or he does have that. That doesn't matter to her. She goes, I don't care who the hell you are. Like, you don't treat – it comes down to, like, who you are at your core. And I think that says a lot about just people in general. You know, I, I loved saying it when I worked in retail where we would have – you know, we'd have people come in and be like, I spend such and such amount of money here. And look, I'll be the first person who will pay extra if I could be front row at something. So I, I am all about understanding how much you make. But I will easily – take somebody down a couple of notches, especially when I was a manager. I'm like, you know what? And what I love about our company is that we appreciate all our customers. We treat everybody equal, whether you spend a dollar or a million dollars at our store. Like we're all about quality for our customers and our employees. You know, the steam you can visually see coming out of people when they think that they're entitled to something and you knock them down a couple pegs. I, I, I just... I get off on that. I think it's great. It's such a power trip move because you don't tell me how to run my my store. And I feel that that's almost how Elite did that with Lorcan, where he's just not used to it. And she's like, I don't care who you are. You did a shit thing. Like, who do you think you are? Because that's not going to fly with me. And he's just completely taken aback because he's not used to that he's used to everybody falling at his feet as i'm sure it's just like a lot of people are if they're like a 10 out of 10 and you just if you're dismissive to them like that that's never happened to me before wait i want your attention please let me it's such an ego thing let's not forget that he you know was an act in a carnival which i just really love I love that whole thing. Yeah, you know, he's just like throwing swords or whatever. And what's really great about that is, you know, everybody's eyes are on him, but his eyes go straight to a lead mm-hmm. in her headdress, you know, and he, he says that he followed her like a dog and he couldn't stop himself. And it, it's just it's just really lovely. He's like, who am I? He yeah. No idea what's going. He's like, this isn't this isn't me. It's pretty fantastic. I have a hit all of my points. Jess, do you have points that you want to hit? Um. I think I hit all of mine. Oh, I liked just the last point, And this just goes to like, woo, feminism, where they refer to Rowan as Rowan Whitethorn Galathinius. I love, I fucking love that. Can we have more of that, please? Like, I'm all about a hyphenated name. I will, I'm not, like, I, I will say when. I won't say if. Maybe if. Who knows? If I get married, I'll totally take on my husband's name. I'll hyphenate it. But... You never, it's never reversed. And I love that Sarah did that here. I, I just, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. It's such a small thing, but it means so much to me because you don't see it ever. I can't say ever. Zoe Saldana's husband did that, I think. He took her last name. It's just, it's not common. You could. It's, it's yeah, not common. It's not common. So do you like this book? Did you like this book? I loved, I loved this book. This book was... It was a lot. I was not expecting to cry as much as I did. I really wasn't because I had made it so far. 
and I had more reaction videos of me being giddy and like, oh, this is so great. This person's looking up. This person's steamy. Ooh, this one was by surprise. I don't have as many reaction videos to the sobbing because I just was, I mean, I think you have a voice memos of me ca- trying to catch my breath. No words, um, just sobs. Yeah, no words, just, I mean, this is, when people say, and you specifically texted me, she goes, you said, it's not just, a, it's not just sad feelings, it's all feelings. And you said that with Akamaf also. This hits differently than Akamaf. But I will continue to say, I mean, I haven't even finished the series, but I absolutely love that my introduction to Throne of Glass was reading in the order of all of Akatar first, then Crescent City, and then going back to the beginning, really. Yeah. Making it this far, can you see why people say that this is her, like, masterpiece series? Yeah. I mean, it's not even over yeah. yet, but... Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is over. Well, I mean, for you. Oh, for me. For me. Absolutely. I do appreciate all the characters. I didn't think I was going to. I was like, there's a, there's a lot of people here. Um, But I, it's almost like there's somebody for everybody, which is also really great. I'm all about Selena, Aelin, however. I, I, I'm all about Aelin. Lysandra's my number two. I love Lysandra. In, in regards to female characters, hands down, Lysandra, love her love her. I need to see what bookish merch is out there. And I almost slipped yesterday. I was like, wait, that might spoil something. I'm going to hold a beat because I just, I think, I think she's so great. I also love that her, she always reverts back to the ghost leopard form from the first time she was able to shift. She's like, I really like this. I think I'm going to keep it. And it's just what she always reverts back to. And I cannot wait to see. I can't believe there's only two books left. Oh, there's only two books left. Yeah. <sighs> well, and really only one with these characters because Tower of Dawn <gasps> doesn't have them. You know, it's just it's just Kaol and Nezrin. And we meet some other characters there, too. Like, you haven't met everybody yet. There are more characters that are introduced in Tower of Dawn, and they're good ones. Then they'll be brought into the Kingdom of Ash. Yeah. And then, it, yeah, Kingdom of Ash, everybody is, you know, together. But um, uh, obviously, I said this is my favorite book. I love this book. Um, I can't finish it. I probably never will finish it again. It's just, it's too, it's too much. It's when too you much. said that you finished it all the way till the end, I was surprised. I thought you were going to just stop at whatever point it was you stopped that prior to me knowing. And then you're like, that'll get me in the right headspace and you'll go from there. Because you've reread it the last part again for the second time, were there, were there things that you picked up on that you didn't necessarily process the first time? Or do you feel like it was pretty well addressed or it just impacted you so much that you're like, how could I forget? any of that ever again um the second time really paying attention to what happened in the mirror and getting the backstory and just knowing that aelin's life she was destined to die from the second that she was born is just so fucking devastating and that elena like sent her to meet rowan so that she could have happiness before she dies even though it's just such a short time and then you know everything with nehemia and then just all all of it everything that happened in the mirror hit really hard the second time just because it's just so sad and then also that little tidbit of knowing that aelin 
died as a child and Elena had to bring her back to life. And then she knew that she was sending her to Arobin and that that would give her the life experiences and the skills to all of it. All of it just hit really hard. And I really love that Manon was there with her so that Manon heard and saw everything. And she has this kind of understanding that everybody else doesn't because she was there. And then, like, you you sent me it. It helps Manon in her own journey, too, because she's understanding the history of the the Crockins that she was taught to hate for so long. And then, of course, when Aelin says to Elena, like, will you be there with me? At the end, you know, she doesn't want to be alone. And it's just just so incredibly powerful. You go back and think about it. So it's like she's the queen that was promised. And then everyone says, like, nameless is my price. Nameless is my price. And then from the first book. They say the like the word mark on her head is like Brandon's mark. It means the bastard. It means nameless. If you had pieced all of these pieces together, it's like as soon as you hear like nameless is my price, you're like, oh, fuck. But now, like knowing everything, it's just it's so sad. I, I'll say tragic. It is so tragic, tragic that this like that is her life and she accepts it. You know, she plans for it. And she's locked in a coffin for God knows how long. And, you know, Rowan is is says like he's going to go hunt for her, but she doesn't know that she's resigned to whatever's going to happen. She's with a sadist. We know Kane is a sadist. It's said over and over again. It's so sad. It's just so sad. And the whipping and like she won't count. She won't count. And then she finally screams. And it's just it's it's a lot. It's a lot. Well, then, and the significance of even the whipping besides, like, the flashbacks to Endovir and then the placement of the whippings, which is, like, where Rowan gave her her tattoos of the people that she loves and the stories that come with it. I think there's just so much symbolism there that you just keep you keep hurting for her. Yeah. So as I I know, I see I see you're going to you're going to start again. <laughs> I'm trying not to. As I said in the beginning, like, I don't read past where Dorian and Manon hook up. I feel like as soon as they get to the marshes, it just all goes downhill so fast. And I started crying and I was like, why am I so emotional? Because, you know, I finished that other book yesterday also. And I was like, maybe it's a full moon. And I was like, the full moon's still like two weeks away. I couldn't even blame it on that. It's just good. It's just good. And, you know, I didn't. I didn't cry in in Akadar like I cry in Throne of Glass. Throne of Glass just hits differently for me. I don't know why that is, but it does. Throne of Glass is a bigger, you know, which is not entirely fair to say because we don't know where Akadar is going yet. But Throne of Glass is a big world. There's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of characters. There's a lot of plot. I'm curious with Silver Flames and other books now. And with the evolution of TikTok, are we going to be as emotionally invested as we are with Throne of Glass? Because TikTok and social media platforms, they've created these characters like we were talking about earlier, where we see like these quote unquote fun sides of them or like, to me, I always tell you there's certain things that I just feel are canon. This is what's been happening behind the scenes while we've been waiting for Silver Flames. And I don't know if 
there's more of an emotional charge with Throne of Glass because when it first came out and you aligned yourself with the series timely, right? You didn't binge them. So these social media platforms weren't there to add to the lightness of the characters, but they are there for Akatar. So maybe there's something to be said with that. I don't know. I'm looking. So... Empire of Storms came out in 2016. Wow, that was still, that's a while ago. And Kingdom of Ash came out in 2018. There were two years between those books. I mean, of course, like, you know, Tower of Dawn's in there, but like, whatever. Uh, so there were, there were two years between those books. And that was before, you know, TikTok came. It's like you're saying they're like book talk and everything. That was before all of that. So... I feel like a lot of people have to work backwards to create the Throne of Glass content. And then with people with Akatar, it's it's kind of like I feel like it's kinda of always been there, you know. It's more timely. Yeah. Man, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that Sarah and her writing is it's not perfect, but it hits hard. We've also spoke about this in previous episode where you don't have to be a perfect writer to evoke emotions yeah no for real like Hemingway doesn't make me ugly cry for an entire day on and off you know it just it just doesn't it doesn't happen you know a great Gatsby doesn't make me convulse and not be able to form words like even Harry Potter series like I know I cried and you know I cried in five I obviously cried in six and seven but I'm not incapacitated for the rest of the day no I'm just gonna go in my bed and be the Kim Kardashian meme, just looking up at the ceiling. That's it. That's that's just going to be me today. And we should point out that at the beginning, like Jess has just finished this. She hasn't had time to like sit and really process everything yet. And she hasn't seen the TikToks that I'm ready to send her yet. So I feel like the rest of your day is shot like right in the ass. I'm going to be posting all the memes on our on the Acafe podcast Instagram account and be like, this is me. This is me now. This is me still. This is me crying. This is, I mean, there's videos of me reacting. There's videos of me so- sobbing, sobbing. I wasn't expecting this. I-, I thought I was, I was just happy. When I was getting giddy, I was like, yay. And then part of me was a little hesitant to say, yeah, but she always does something towards the end. Like the last always. And I, and then I'm like, but we're fine right now. And even like the final battle scene, like that it's, that's happening. It just reminded me of Crescent City where Bryce is running through the quarter. It's good. It's all very good. Or even like Akawar where the, the, oh, that's what that, the Armada reminded me of Akawar. Yeah. It, it did. Like it was just really, and then, so, the Armadas reminded me of the Akawar and everybody's like coming and also kind of reminded me of the end of Endgame when everybody comes back and everyone's just there. I mean, obviously the war isn't happening because they are already left, but they're just like there congregating. And that was, oh, I'm so, I, cause I kept asking, I was like, where is this person? Where is this? Why aren't they showing up? I'm waiting for them to show up. How are they going to appear? Like I knew they were going to, but I just didn't know how. Um, yeah. It was good. It was so fucking good. Oh, see, now I'm happy about it. I haven't, I'm not going to cry for a little bit. So Empire of Storms, we love. We love, we em- love. We love Empire of Storms. It, it's a good one. Would recommend. Yes. 
Yeah, I would write, you know, and you want to know something? I know people shit on it, but I still recommend Crown of Midnight for the sole reason it's the end that hooks you. Because I really couldn't have cared less. I was like, okay, Throne of Glass, but I know, I'm just going to read it. I know I'm going to read it, but it's the, I, I think that's why I enjoy Crown of Midnight is because the end is where my first reaction videos started where I was like, it hooks you like it's, you know, like that's the setup for the long run. And that's why I really appreciate Crown of Midnight. Crown of Midnight is the one that people really disregard. So that's, that's good. Well, you, you know, and I understand why they disregard it. I do. But I think that just it sets up the trajectory. And obviously, when you want to do a reread, you could go like air fire through. But I just I think people disregard the unpopular. I don't want to say unpopular. I just think people disregard the lesser cared for books for a reason, but don't necessarily understand the impact. And I'm guilty of it with Akatar, with the first book, because I just want to disregard it all the time. And then when you have people who do the rereads and they do the reaction videos, you're reminded, no, yeah, it might be your least favorite, but there's a reason it's important. Like it's, it sets it up for everything else in the future and how things start tying in together. Just like you were saying how Throne of Glass with the bastard symbol from Brandon, and you know that from the first book, or like the importance of Endivir and the whipping and how you're seeing that now and the significant you know i just every everything sarah's really good about intertwining all these little things i'm sure she has them like the serial killer map with all the pieces of yarn connecting things because how do you keep track of that yeah how how do you keep track of it is it's quite something um so next week we are doing tower of dawn i'm gonna try to not go right into it on you know, when we go into record, but next week we do Tower of Dawn and then we have a little reprieve. I mean, we posted the calendar. That's really exciting. I was really excited that we got that up this week to just say kind of the layout that we have for the next couple months. We're recording, we're reading, we're working, we're super organized, <laughs> but we kind of have to be, especially with like the projects that we're working on. And plus we're in quarantine. Like we want to keep everybody excited and entertained. And th- there's a lot to look forward to these next couple months. We have Silver Flames and then we have Crown of Gilded Bones. And then there's a Shadow Hunters book, I think, coming out. And yeah, there something. is. And then we, then there's Shadow and Bones on Netflix. There's a lot happening. I mean, the final season of Magicians was aired on Netflix. So there's a lot to be had and a lot to be excited for. And we're only doing one episode a week, so that's, I mean, I guess that makes sense why we were so far planned out. But next week is Tower of Dawn, and we will try to be objective, right? It's a good book, but we all just want Kingdom of Ash, but Tower of Dawn, we're going to give it our, give it a go, give it our best shot. I haven't reread it yet. I've only read it once, so I'm excited to dive back into it and see what there is to pick up on. So feel free to follow us on Instagram at Akafe Podcast, A-C-O-F-A-E Podcast. Feel free to let us know what's going on, what you want to see. We have questions. I get bored at night because I just am an insomniac. So please reach out (laughs) and we'll do our best to keep everybody posted with what's going on. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye.